book of Acts this, this month, we've been just discussing the book of Acts as we prepare for our launch of our church, which we're looking at right now at April, and later in the service at the end when we do our announcements, I have a couple of little announcements to share about that. But as we prepare for the grand opening of our church, we just want to talk about what the first church looked like. I think it's a good place to start, right? And um, when we look at the book of Acts, we remember that it's a historical book and not a book of doctrine like Paul's epistles. And if we have that understanding of the book of Acts as a, a book of history, that'll help us enjoy the book and not try to figure out all of the interesting anomalies that happen at the beginning of something. And whenever God does something in the beginning, it's always very unique because there's really no formula to it. Okay? So in every act or every miracle or everything that's happening in the book of Acts, it's God's plea and God's cry out to the world with the gospel of grace. And so in Acts chapter 2, we're going to just continue in the book of Acts chapter 2. And I was going over this during the week, and I was thinking, reading the book of Acts, reading chapter 2, and just thinking, this is like breaking news. Or watch the news, and you're watching some advertisement or something, and suddenly there's breaking news. Well, this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. There is something incredible going on in this with this church and with this new group of people very small group of people called out ones and if you'll turn with me to chapter 2 verse 7 through 13 now I want to get some crowd participation here I want to ask you folks to do some verse reading so how who would like to start with Acts chapter 2 verses 7 through 13 who has that Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. Acts 2. Oh, I'm in a job. That's okay. I'm ready to engage That's also a good message. We could preach that message yeah. instead today. Acts John 2. Uh, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all there, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house when they, where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divine, divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were, and there were, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused, because everyone heard them speaking his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is, it, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Alamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia. 
Phrygia, Phrygia, mm -hmm. uh, Amphilia. That's why I asked somebody else to read these verses. <laughs> All these hard words in there. Egypt and the parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and uh, proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongue the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and were perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, They are full of new wine. That's amazing, isn't it? You can see behind the verses here, the actual temple, uh, that most likely this all happened at. Now we know in Acts chapter 2, the scene is in an upper room. It's in a room where they're praying, right? They're all together. There's the apostles and there's others. And they're all in this room and they've been praying and they've been just kind of hanging out there because they don't really know what's going to happen next. Jesus has ascended, remember, a few chapters earlier. About not even a mile away, Jesus had ascended into the heavens and angels appeared to the apostles and said, why are you standing here looking up? Because in the same manner that Jesus went up, he will come down. And then the angels um, leave. They go back to that room where they just, that's where they're familiar with. They go back there. This time Peter doesn't go fishing. He's learned that lesson last time. So he goes with the apostles into the room and then they're just dwelling together and they're praying and they're just waiting on God. And moments later we see the Holy Spirit comes down and we see this very unique experience. We talked a little bit about it last Sunday, and I just very quickly want to just hit this, but when they begin to speak in tongues and preach the gospel in different languages, we remember that Pentecost was a Jewish holiday where all Jewish men once in their life had to, or once a year had to come, within a certain region, had to come to Jerusalem and participate in this feast. So you can imagine there's probably tens of thousands of people in this, in this temple and around it. I mean, it is just, it's like rodeo in Houston. By the way, somebody bought us tickets. We're going to go to, we're going to, go to rodeo March 24th, and so my wife and I are really excited. And uh, how many here have been to rodeo? You've been to rodeo? No? Your wife has. You gotta go. We gotta, we gotta do it. Rodeo. I haven't been there, and so can you imagine? It's just like it's like in somewhat. There's loud noises and there's busy streets, and people are selling things on the, you know, on the streets, and they're selling offerings, and they're selling birds and animals and things too, uh, and they're just doing what they do in that culture, and suddenly these men filled with the Holy Spirit say, "Let's go preach," and that's that's amazing to see. And every time we see the Holy Spirit come down and move and every time we see that they are filled with God, plereo in the Greek action happens, there's some kind of activity, there is preaching, they go out and preach and as they go out, that room that they're in, and there's commentators have a lot of different opinions about this, but it comes down to this, they're not too far away from this, this temple they go to the outer courts, or the courts of the temple there, and they just begin to preach, and it's like the UN there at that time. Just people from all over the world are there at that time. It's kind of almost like the Super Bowl. And then they, then they begin to speak in these different languages. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read something. It's kind of like a quick synopsis of 
of this amazing thing that happens and they're speaking in these different languages. And I don't know, some of you have some history with church, some of you don't have history with church. And so Acts chapter 2 here, the focus, and you can see here the instances of speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. And there's three instances. And I'll let you look at that graph of, as I'm going to read what Spiros Zodiades says about this chapter. He said, the focus of Acts chapter 2 is the preaching of the gospel by Peter to the thousands that believed on Jesus Christ at that moment. And it's not tongues. Zodiades says, the fulfillment of Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit. That's, the whole, that's what's happening here in the first few verses of this chapter. The purpose of the coming of the Holy Spirit was to what? Glorify Christ, right? John 16, the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and filled not just a selected few. That's interesting to note. Not just a selected few were filled with the Holy Spirit, but every believer that was present in the upper room in Acts 2.4. One result of this baptism was that these people spoke in languages that they did not previously understand. In Acts 2, verse 6 and 8, the writer uses the Greek word dialecto, which referred to a known and understood ethnic language, or dialects. The other tongues, now how many of you heard, have heard of other tongues that's used in 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Okay, other tongues mentioned in verse 4 should not be confused with the unknown tongue spoken by, Corinthians, by the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 14. This unknown tongue is always singular and is accompanied by a singular personal pronoun. That's just for all of you grammar lovers out there. How many love grammar here? Lexi loves grammar. Look at that. She's just shaking her head. <laughs> okay. This unknown tongue is always in the singular. So the Apostle Paul demanded that this unknown tongue always be interpreted. Okay. In, in 1 Corinthians 14. The tongues that were spoken in this passage, Acts chapter 2, however, needed no interpreter because what? Each man heard the message of the Lord in his own language. Okay, now think of this. You have Jews. And why are there Jews speaking different languages? Because they're from different parts of the Greek and, and Roman Empire. They have been scattered. Uh, they, some, there's only 2% of the Jews that were living in Babylon when they were exiled to Babylon, remember that? Back in the Old Testament, they were exiled to Babylon where Daniel was. Only 2% of them come back. 2% of Jews come back to Jerusalem. And they start with only 2%. So you have Jews all over the place, and they're adopting the, their, the, the language of their local area. And so some of them never even really learned Hebrew. So they're coming as a good Jew to Pentecost, to this feast, which is about 50 days after Passover, which celebrates when Israel left Egypt and went into the, 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 the journey to the Promised Land by that miraculous work. You have all of these Jews there, and some of them aren't even speaking Hebrew. They're just there. It's like going to a Catholic church and hearing the whole thing in Latin. Okay, How many have ever done that? My wife knows this. My wife's done that, and I know several have done that. You're sitting there, and it's like, what is going on? You, know, you don't hear anything. There's singing, there's a service, and you kind of walk out like, okay, that was an experience, but I don't know what that meant. And so here, the apostles are filled with the Holy Spirit and given an ability to preach the gospel. This is the focus of chapter 2, the gospel, right? It's the message. 
It's God revealing the new amazing revelation that God is with men and that he wants to save people. The focus here is not speaking in these crazy different languages and as a display of how spiritual I am and how much I can boost up my ego because I can have some kind of a spiritual experience in the church. We see here tongues is used three times. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because the focus of this is, is a little is a little bit farther. And so these tongues were used, these languages were used in the Greek to preach the gospel. And as they're preaching the gospel, um, people are amazed. People are really amazed. So I just want to say four things today. And I want to give you those four things right now. Um, four things about Peter's sermon. Peter's sermon really takes the center stage of the chapter. This is what the chapter is all about. Peter preaching. So number one, the first thing that Peter mentions in his message is that God meets us where we are in his gospel. God meets us where we're at. If God meets us where we're at. If we're doing great today, God's going to meet you there. If we're not doing great, God's going to meet us there. Okay? If we're doing kind of we don't know how we're doing, God's going to meet us there. Okay? Number two, God tells the truth about ourselves. God tells us the truth. This is another point, the second point in Paul's in Peter's message, and we'll look at that in a minute. Number three, we are broken, but the gospel leans in. The gospel leans in. We are broken, and that's no revelation here. I don't know if there's anyone that's not broken here, but we are broken, but the gospel leans into us. And number four, what do we do now? True hope and change. At the end of Peter's message, everyone is astounded. And they're like, what do we do now? They just, they're just so, so moved. And so let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. I need another volunteer. Only verses 14 and 15. Acts chapter 2. Anyone? Or you can just read it from the screen. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, You men of Judea, and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So Peter, what does he do? There's this incredible display of, of miraculous speaking in a language that they have never studied before. They are just uneducated Galileans. And then immediately there's a huge crowd that forms around them. I mean, this is incredible. And so Peter makes four points, and he takes the opportunity to preach. And again, we see in the book of Acts, every time there's a great sign miracle, someone stands up and they're preaching. Okay? Number one, God meets us where we are. This is what's happened. The Holy Spirit clothed the, clothed the, 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 the apostles from power on high and drove out fear and doubt. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine being someone who does not have a lot of education, really looked down at high society, you're a fisherman, you smell, you always smell. I mean, I don't know if you've ever done that, but you did just that oil gets into your clothes and it's there. And so wherever you go, people know what you do. And you're kind of looked at like, well, he didn't make it in a high school, so he's, he's a fisherman. I don't know about in Texas, but in the Middle East, it was a simple job. And it, wasn't, it did not require a lot of education. And so they have probably, sometimes they're struggling with their self-image, and they kind of feel that, you know, maybe 
I need to have project some kind of an image because I'm insecure and maybe I'm not so bold. And so here Peter is standing up and he's not worried about what people are thinking about him. He is actually looking a bit foolish. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 10. You know, we are fools for Christ. Sometimes what we do looks really foolish. You ever feel foolish about your testimony? So you know what? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe, I don't believe in evolution. I believe, um, I believe that there's a rapture coming. I believe that the Bible is 100% true. You ever feel weird about that? You ever been in school with some friends and say, hey, wait a minute, I believe in God. And they kind of look at you. Maybe you have had family members that have kicked you out or have just stopped talking to you or just kind of look at you like you kind of didn't go the way I thought you would like to go. And so we sometimes look like we are fools for Christ. But the truth is and the comfort is, is that God meets us where we are at. He meets us where we are at physically. He meets us at where we are spiritually. And I love that because Jesus is not at the top of the stairs waiting for us to climb those stairs to meet him. Jesus has come down those stairs and he's met us at the bottom of the stairs. Jesus came down and he met us where we're at. Church is not about you qualifying to become a person that can have fellowship with God. Okay, That's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is about you in your place, where you're at, with all of our stuff going on in our life, all of us have stuff going on, and just saying, Jesus, here I am. Take me just as I am. That old, that old hymn, I love that song. Just as I am without one plea. I love that. I have no excuse. Jesus, I have no excuse. <laughs> How many of you have ever had this feeling that you have to give an excuse? It just, you know, we have this saying, it is what it is. And it is what it is. It's like, okay, Jesus, it is what it is. So here I am. I don't want to live in it, it is what it is, but I want you, and I want to just talk about that in a minute. But God meets us there in a place of safety, honesty, and genuineness. Safety, honesty, and genuineness. He meets us where we're at. And it's a, it's a zone of safety. Now, how many of you have kids? And you're, sometimes when you take your kids somewhere, you're wondering, is this a safe zone, right? I'm sure about, sometimes you think about Elijah. Is this a safe zone? By the way, the building that we're looking at now has like a little place. We're going to call it the Elijah room because we're going to just, it's a little room to put little babies in with a window. It's <laughs> driving the other day. I was like, we can call that the Elijah room. We have little kids or we have big kids. Some of us are big kids still. We wonder, is this a safe zone? And, and we think, am I going to be safe in the presence of God? Am I going to be safe here or am I going to be betrayed and I'm going to be uncovered? So God meets us where we're at. This is what Peter is saying. He stands up with the 11 and he says, God is going to meet you where you're at. Let's look at Acts chapter 2, verse 23. And I need someone to read this. Someone who hasn't read it. Verse 23. I'm going to pick someone out if they don't. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and for knowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Wow. Peter, do you have to be that straight? Mm -hmm. This is the second point. He tells the truth about ourselves. 
God puts us in a safe zone, and when we're in that safe zone and we feel safe, then he can tell us the truth and we don't get insecure. And you know something? It may take a few years for us to understand we're in a safe zone before some truth can come in. Because when the truth comes in, if we don't understand that we're in a safe zone, we're going to get torn apart, right? That's why Jesus said to his apostles or his disciples, there's a lot of things that I can't tell you right now because you can't bear it. Okay? Sometimes we just tell people, give me the honest truth. And we're like, we're torn to shreds, and we're like, oh, I wish they didn't give us the honest truth. You know? Number two, Peter says he tells the truth about ourselves. What does he say to this crowd? There are thousands of people in this crowd. Remember, there could be 10,000 people there. There's 3,000 people that get saved at the end of the message, Peter's message. And it's not a long message. But there's, there could have been 10,000 people there. And he says to them, you all killed Jesus. You are responsible for the death of Jesus. You did this. How can that be? Well, the truth is that each one of us has crucified him. Each one of us. I believe if Jesus showed up today and CNN or Fox News had them, had them right, on, you know, right on camera and he shows up and he's preaching the same message, eventually, guess what would happen? this world would crucify him again. We would do it again. And I think all of us would be a part of it because we would not want to be going against the flow. Remember the movie, The Passion? How many saw The Passion? The Passion of Christ. I saw that. Before I saw it, I thought, you know, I didn't see it. I didn't watch it for, you know, I didn't on purpose watch it, you know, in the beginning. And I kind of was laughing at some people because they'd say, oh, they're all crying when they come out, you know, and it's just such a moving film. And and so how can I don't cry on, about movies? You know, I just don't cry. You know, I just I don't know. And so I went to the. We had rented out a whole theater. This is up in Massachusetts. We bought all the tickets in the theater, and we went door knocking. We just gave the tickets to everybody. We're gonna do something like that down here too. It'd be great to do that. Just gave everyone in the in, in the surrounding area of the theater free tickets to the movie. So of course we went, and at the, you know, we're watching the movie, and I'm watching it, and then. I lost it halfway through. That part where Jesus is tied to the pole and they're whipping him. And then I don't know how, maybe I thought of this verse or maybe the, the verse was, was read or somehow related to that moment. But it says, by, but this verse came to my mind, by his stripes we were healed. And I just, I, I just, I just, I was, I checked out. <laughs> I, I was like, and the pastor next to me was like patting me, and he goes, none of us are going to be crying, right? <laughs> and I understood that I crucified Christ. And Peter makes sure that we are all on an even place. And, that, and this is Psalm 26, verse 12. David said we're on an even place. Nobody in this room is at a different level than anyone else. You know, no one in this world as a Christian or a non-Christian, is at a different place. As a matter of fact, someone on the street, downtown Houston, who's not even a believer in Jesus Christ, is no different than who I am as a Christian. I am no better than anyone else. As a matter of fact, God doesn't even think in terms of race, color, language, or gender. We see this throughout the whole New Testament. We are in an even place. And how does that mean? Well, it says in Romans 3, verse 23, all have sinned and fallen short. All, and I did an extensive Greek study on this, all means, guess what? All. All. <laughs> that means everyone has sinned. 
Even Wesley Benoit. Can we? Uh, unbelievable. We're not going to talk about that, but no. he's going to share with us later in a couple minutes. All have sinned, but you know what? Not only has all, not have all not only have we all sinned, but in the next verse, in verse twenty-four of Romans three, we have all been justified freely by His grace. Justified freely. That means in Romans ten it says that God concluded everybody a sinner. Okay, everybody. That means next time you see someone that has like it's very saintly. Just remember, and if you see someone that's not so saintly, just remember, we are on all an even place. We're on an even place, no matter how you are feeling about yourself today. So, what did Jesus do when he died on the cross? And this is what the truth is about ourselves. This is what Paul is, Peter is saying about the truth. Even though you killed Jesus and you were all guilty of that, Jesus died for you, and he became your propitiation. There's a new vocabulary word for you today, propitiation. It just means this. God is pacified, Jesus pacified the wrath of God by taking taking care of the penalty for the offense that caused the wrath. So when Peter's preaching, what is his gospel? Um, Today, when we text people, and I do this, or on Facebook or whatever you're talking to people, you say, hey, you're awesome. You're awesome. Emoji, smiley face. But that's not Peter's gospel. Peter's not preaching to the crowd of 10,000 people. I'm just guessing. He's not saying, hey, guys, you are awesome. He's not saying that. That's the message that you might hear in some churches today. Hey, guess what? You are awesome. And he's not saying that because when we preach a you're awesome emoji, smiley face gospel, then that leads to what? A duplicitous life. If I'm just telling people, you're awesome all the time, and we're not talking truth, then that, that, that does two things. It leads to this duplicity in my life and in other people's lives. And number two, people become slaves to that. They become in bondage. For example, you know, you ever have someone ask you, how are you? And you say, I'm doing good. But inside you're saying, I'm doing bad. (laughs) You ever do that before? That is called duplicity. And that is called and that is called not understanding that God wants to meet us where you're at and he wants to give us some truth that is going to set us free. If we're just if Peter is just preaching the you're awesome smiley face gospel, then what does that mean? It just means that we're going to be in bondage to fear, sin, or whatever our thing is. I'm doing awesome, and then I go home, and I'm just not doing awesome. And there is this, there, and we talked about it Wednesday night at the Bible study, there is this frustration index of where I, where I think I should be and where I'm at. And that distance between where I think I should be and my experience today, that space between where I think I should be and that space where, in that point where I think I should be is called frustration. And the bigger, the greater the distance, the bigger the frustration. And so, when we say, if Peter's preaching the awesome gospel, you are awesome gospel, then what is happening? People walk away and they are not set free and they have not heard about what is true. So the gospel defines what's really happening on the inside. And that brings us to Peter's third point. We are broken. Okay, we are broken 
we are busted, we are in rebellion. I'm talking about our old sin nature, our flesh. Okay? We are prone to wander. We can be wicked. We can be full of lust. We can be materialistic. We can be self-seeking. Any self-seekers here? I don't think so. I'm being facetious here. We are self-centered. Okay? I, I, I see myself in all of these. We do worship ourselves more than the Creator. But then what happens? Peter's given this tough news. People are like, they're just hearing it. And then what happens? Then the gospel leans in. I love that. The gospel begins to lean in. It's like Titus chapter 3, verse 3. And I'm just going to read this to you. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Whoa, isn't that great? But, I love those buts in the Bible. But God showed mercy on us. Yes, it is what it is. And we are broken, we are busted, we are in rebellion. And church is not about, by the way, church is not, and our goal here is not to modify people's behavior and tell them, hey, you better act better. Where are your manners? That, that's like, okay, that's, that has its place in the home. That's great for training. But when we're talking about spiritual things, God is not interested in modifying our behavior so that we have the right vocabulary and the right actions, right? How many of you have ever felt that way, that I'm in a position where somebody wants me to change my behavior before I'm, I'm accepted? God is not doing that. God just says, this is what it is, and we say, amen, it is that way in my life. And then, and, then, and then he shows goodness and kindness, and he saves us. So let's read that now in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 29. Acts chapter 2, verse 29. Peter begins to bring in the gospel. Okay? He said, you guys have killed him, you're all guilty. And they're like, what? You know. And then, then he brings in the gospel, verse 29. Who wants to read verses 29 through 33? Acts 2, 29 through 33. Wesley. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulchre is with us even unto this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne, seeing this before spoke of the resurrection of Christ that his soul was not left in hell neither his flesh did see corruption this Jesus hath God raised up whereof we all are witnesses therefore being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit he has shed forth this which he now see and hear Peter brings in the gospel he talks about Jesus taking upon himself our, our mistakes, our sins, everything, things that we did yesterday, today, this morning. And he has taken it upon himself. And what is the, what is the, the beautiful um, point he's making here? He's just saying three things. Christ's victory over hell becomes our victory. Isn't that great? Jesus is the only one 
that was killed, murdered, rejected by his own people, by the world. He was the, he was the most amazing person ever on the planet. He healed people. He brought people's dead kids back to life. This man was incredible. He fed the poor. He preached. And he was a hero. He stood against the Roman government. He was like the, the Jews here. Yeah, you know. Um, he was the man who, who was the greatest man that ever lived on the earth. And yet he was murdered, killed because of his goodness. Because he was too human. He was too humble to be God. And he was murdered and he was yet he did not die he rose from the dead it's like the most i mean hollywood could not come up with a story like that what an amazing you know like we all like those hero movies right where the it looks like the hero's dead at the end of the movie right it's like oh did he die he can't i hate movies when the hero dies like the gladiator like he dies at the end it's like okay i just wish i didn't watch that you know it's like i don't know why it's like that just me I don't know. Like, I've never watched Titanic because you know how the movie's going to end. The boat sinks, everybody dies. And call me a non-romantic, I don't know. I just, that's just me. It has nothing to do with God. Okay? I just, how could you, there could not be another greater story in the Bible where a man is absolutely rejected and he rises again on the third day. Peter talks about this. Number two, the cross of Christ absorbed God's wrath, pacified the wrath of God towards our rebellion, Towards against him. And number three, now we get this new life in Christ. We get this amazing new life in Christ. And so this is the point that he's making. And I like how Paul says it to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that we in him might become the righteousness of God. Okay? that we might become the righteousness of God. And so the crowd of thousands here, verse 36, and let's look at this verse now, and they believe. Now I just want to, I want to wrap this up with this. Verse 36 is very interesting. And I'll read this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I just think that when people can hear that God is greater than all of our mistakes, there's some kind of trust that goes in. For example, when we realize, you know, Mel Gibson's, I didn't finish the, the illustration about Mel Gibson's movie. Remember Mel Gibson makes that movie, and how many know, knew that the one part that Mel Gibson appears in is just that part where he's holding the hammer and he's nailing the, the nail into Jesus' hand? You only see his hand. I don't know if they show his whole body, but Mel Gibson wanted, and you know, with all of his issues in his life and whatever whatever he does and is, I don't know, but he hit it spot on with this movie. And I believe that God used this movie despite a Hollywood. That Mel Gibson wanted to communicate in the movie that he himself was guilty. He himself, amongst everyone, was guilty including himself, guilty of crucifying Christ. But when we see Jesus rise from the dead and preach this message of peace and this amazing message that Peter's preaching right now, that is when belief begins in our life. When we see that God loves us and his power in our life and his grace in our life is not offended by me killing him or me 
failing him or me being unbelieving. God doesn't get offended. And that's what I love about God. Is that God's not offended at us. He doesn't get offended about things like, and then stop talking to us or just do these, whatever, these things that, that a dysfunctional God would do. He doesn't do that. He raises Jesus from the dead. Isn't that amazing? God is greater than our sin. He's greater than our unbelief. He's greater than, you know, I don't know, but I don't know about you, but sometimes uh, I'm just amazed at my capacity. <laughs> like, you know, it's just amazing. Like, I, you know, you think, well, I should, I should be more patient, you know? And, and I'm like, you ever, you ever, 45, I think 40, God created 45 just to make Houston spiritual. You know, I, I'm on 45 and, you know, pull up to the stoplight for the access road. And some ladies in front of me, and, you know, her head's down and she's doing something. Lights turning green. I'm thinking, okay, everybody's going. I'm just sitting there. Okay. So I beep, you know, like, wake up. And she's like, she gets all mad and everything and expresses her anger to me. And did you do a short beep? Because what I, you do is you do beep. Yeah, but I have a card that doesn't do short beeps. It's German. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to do a short beep yet. I just tap it, and it's like, okay, it's not making any noise, and I push it, and then it's like a, a beep. And it's like, then I think, oh, okay, you know, here I am supposed to be a spiritual person. I just, and then I'm thinking, okay. But you know what? God is greater than all of our things in our soul. That, And when we see, and when these people heard, yeah, we did kill Christ. We are guilty. And I remember thinking about, I was part of that crowd that said, crucify him. And then Jesus is risen from the dead. And in verse 36, they hear that. And guess what happens? They begin to believe. Belief begins in our heart when we hear about the supernatural love of God. When we hear about God's greater than all of our sin, greater than all of our iniquity. He's, and he rises from the dead and his grace is greater than all of our unbelief and everything. And what happens in verse 37? Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. In the Greek, it says that they were pierced like with a, a spear. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? This is conviction. Conviction or this persuasion or this moments where they come to their minds. It's like, it's like the, 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 the man, the, the guy that was, with, um, that was in the foreign land who was the prodigal son comes to, his, comes to himself and he says, what shall we do? It's that moment in our life where like Paul gets knocked off of his horse and he says, Lord, what would you have me to do? And this is a very good moment. This is the moment that always precedes change in our life. This is something when we come to a point, we say, I understand what it is but I can't change it. God, what do I do? This is Romans chapter 6, remember? Romans chapter 7. Who shall, who shall deliver me from this, this, this state of, of, of I'm such a human being and so fallen? When we ask that question, when God brings us to this point, we can rejoice because we are at the edge of change. We're at the, chain, at the edge of transformation in our life. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, I've been reading the ESV on this because I think it flows better in these verses. For the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What is, what is he saying here? Is he saying that you, have to be, that you have to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins? No, because he's saying that, yes, but in verse 36, verse 37, what's happened? They already started to believe so they began to believe, 
And then when we begin to believe at that moment is the only time in our life when we can understand change and repentance. You know, sometimes people say, you know, we get hung up on this word repent. That's a heavy word, isn't it? Isn't that a heavy word? I mean, that's a heavy word. And and, I mean, that's a very heavy word. And and I come from the, the background that I come from. That's just a heavy word. In verse 36, they believe. Now God, now Peter calls them to a change of mind. And that's what that word repent means in the Greek. It just means a change of mind. It means, you know what? I understand clearly that that's ridiculous. And I'm just going to change my mind about that. That's just, I'm changing my mind. Repentance is not an emotional beating ourselves up. or And I've said this before. It's not promising ourselves or promising God things Repentance just means that I just take on my, God's mind about that. And I just say, you know what? That's not me. That's just, I'm a glorious creation. I'm loved by God. And I don't need that destructive thing in my life. And you know what happens? Peter calls him to a change of mind. In Romans 2, verse 4, seeing and believing in the goodness of God leads us to a capacity to change a mind and live in victory. I love this verse in, in Romans chapter 2, and we'll finish with that. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. When we have a, a glimpse of the goodness of God, that just leads us to change our mind about things. I believe that salvation is believing on Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Then what happens is, is as we begin to understand this amazing Christ and this amazing God that we're living and that we're serving and that we're getting to know power comes into our life and change happens. Radical change happens. Real hope happens. Real change happens. Because I cannot repent in my flesh. You ever try to do that? <laughs> I don't know if you've tried to do that. Repent in the energy of your flesh. Like, okay, no, God, I know this is wrong, but I can't change it. And that's why Paul says, who shall deliver me? And this is Peter's message. Who shall deliver us? And it's Christ. And we see that God's goodness and grace moves in and we are changed. What, what is the impact of Peter's gospel? And we'll finish with this, verse 40. With many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's amazing. You know, when we preach the message in the book of Acts, and we're not adding anything or taking away anything from it, that's when people get changed. That's what changes people's lives. Grace plus nothing. What we want you to understand and what we want everyone to understand that we talk to is that God under, God meets us where you are. He's going to give us the truth about our situation. He's going to, he's going to love us into change. And he's going to produce something in our life that we could never do ourselves. And I just want to say... Let's keep moving forward, looking at Jesus Christ and just understanding because it could be, it's very possible that a person could be a Christian for many years and not even understand what the gospel is. And that's what we want to avoid. We want to understand in the second chapter of the book of Acts, this is the message that we want to be preaching to people, that we want to be sharing with people at work, in our families, um, and preaching to ourselves. Amen.